Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God of all creation and the God who created you, He is the God who created your mind, and He is the one who gave you your soul and spirit. He is the one who made you a human being. He made you to be in His image. He made you in His image. And as such, you are able to make decisions unlike any of His other creatures. You are able to comprehend things unlike any of His other creatures. You're able to do that which is what you, you're able to do what you should do. And though we have fallen short by the grace of God and through the salvation of Jesus, um, we're able to do His will. And in a worldly way of speaking, every person can do good in the sense that to the, to the world's mind and to uh, our own way of thinking, we can do the right thing. A Boy Scout taking the, the little old lady and helping her cross the street so she doesn't get run over. Wonderful thing. We ought, to, we ought to give thanks to that. There are many people who don't know Christ who give many multitudes of monies to ministries like CareNet to save babies because they believe that they, those babies are worth being saved. And uh, we, we say, that's good. That's good. Uh, but it's only until we know Christ that we can do His will. It's only until we know Christ that we can do the good that God has given us to do. Ultimately, without knowing Christ, even our good works are as filthy rags because it does not meet the qualifications of doing His will. But brethren, if you know Christ, there are things that God has done in the midst of your life that you, right now, could think back and say, God helped me there. God helped me there. He helped you. There are times that you could look back and say, God helped me in my marriage there. Now, if you're saved today and, and you grew up learning the things that I learned when I was a new Christian, you know, my, my mom and dad, when I was a young teenager, uh, they never did get divorced, but they separated for a, for, well, basically the rest of my dad's life. Neither one of them got remarried until after my dad died. But the idea of divorce was something that is uh, very much part of our culture and is kind of our out. <laughs> and when I got saved and I began to learn the Scripture and I saw that God hated divorce, for me, getting married to a woman of God and living with her and having her uh, having children together with her and having a family... Uh, before I ever went into that marriage, divorce was not an option. <laughs> but I would be lying to you if I never, if I did not think to myself, in the midst of the hard times in my marriage, that it might not be better to be divorced. Now that was a lie come from the devil. And I want you to know, God got us through those times. 
And I can remember some of the things that God did. Messages that were preached, that were preached right to me. (laughs) Circumstances that came up that God most assuredly did. (laughs) Things that God put on my heart to do for my wife that I did. And things that God put on my wife's heart to do for me that she did. And I praise God (laughs) that He did those things. He helped us. He helped us. I can remember times in my life where I could not see the forest through the trees. Everything seemed to be nothing but darkness. Not knowing what to do. I, I can remember distinctly up against my bedroom wall weeping. <laughs> weeping. Not knowing from whence cometh my help, except that the Scripture says, from God comes my help. And I can look back and remember those times and remember that God helped me. I can remember times where God has helped me in the in uh, being a pastor and being a minister. Times where God has come in when I didn't think there was any help to be had. God came and He helped and I can remember them like a memorial. And I think back on those times. And those times have helped me in the midst of the times today because if God helped me then, He's going to help me now as I seek after Him in the midst of these hardships today. Brethren, if God helped you five years ago, would, is God not going to help you through today? Well, I would tell you that as you seek after God with all your heart, He is going to help you. <laughs> he might not help you the way you think He's going to help you, but here is the amazing thing that so often we can look back at a year ago and we say, a year ago I was going through this, but today I'm not. God help me. And we ought to remember those things. We need to remember those things. We need to have an active memory in these things. And we need to let God remind us of these things when we're in trouble. In the Old Testament, we find when God did something, parting the Red Sea, meeting with Abraham, they put up stones. They take large stones and they put them in a particular spot so that when you passed by them, you remembered what God did and you remembered them for generations. When the Israelites passed over the Jordan into the promised land that God had promised to them centuries before, but promised to them in particular 40 years before, before they watered the desert, Each of the tribes took a big stone and they placed them up. For what? As a memorial. And in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we find another of these placings of this stone. Scripture has 
the people call it the Ebenezer or the stone of help. Not that the stone helped, but the stone was a reminder that God helped. If you look there in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the scripture says, starting in, in, well, there in verse 12, then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto have God, had the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I'd encourage you to underline that, that phrase. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Literally, it means Jehovah helps. He has always helped. And He has helped us now. He has always helped and He has helped us now. And He will help us in the future. Now I want to show you an interesting thing. Now remember, 1 Samuel was written after the fact. This is not a journal entry. This is written sometime after these things had happened. Samuel was able to take a piece of paper and write these things down so that we can know the history of these things today and so that we can look back and see how God has done things. We can look back and see the good example of those who are good. uh, Good examples and bad examples of those who are bad examples. We can see those people in the same vein and and, uh, sometimes they are a good example, sometimes they're a bad example. But God gives us these things for an example. (laughs) The Scripture says an ensample. In other words, uh, this is for our lives so that we might know what we're to do in certain situations. And so there's an interesting thing about 1 Samuel in verse 12. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin, and he called it Ebenezer, right? And so here is a place with a stone, and when is it called Ebenezer? Well, it's called Ebenezer at this point. What is this point? Well, let's look back and see how they get to this place. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, there are no kings in Israel. Samuel is the last judge. Uh, You can look through the book of Judges and see how God used certain men and certain women to defeat the enemies of the Israelites so that they could continue to live in their land. Then they would go back to worshiping false idols or doing some dumb thing. And here would come the Philistines or the Moabites or some type of outside force to come. And they come in and they enslave the Israelites. And then a judge comes like Samson or Gideon or uh, Deborah. And, and they're able by the grace of God to get these folks out so they could have their land back. And so they could be free. <laughs> Well, here come those Philistines again. And they enter into the land and they enslave the people. I want you to notice there in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We go back a couple of chapters in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And the Scripture says in verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel... 
Now Israel went against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. Now there's a problem with this whole thing. Because, and it's not a problem, I, I, I want to explain why it's not in a second, but when was Ebenezer called Ebenezer? Not in chapter 4, not in chapter 1, in chapter 7. And so God, who's writing this book, has purposed to call this place Ebenezer, even though it wasn't called Ebenezer until much time later. Why is that? I would propose to you is because God is our help in times past. And He's also our help in times present. And He will be our help in time future. God did not begin to be Jehovah, our helper, in 1 Samuel chapter 7. He was Jehovah the helper in 1 Samuel chapter 4. But in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Israelites are being fought against by the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines set themselves up in array to defeat the Israelites. And the Israelites, with two priests who didn't care much a lick about God, they were the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were wicked but they saw that he, that these two priests saw the army and they said, well, we got to figure out something. Let's bring the Ark of the, of the Covenant and if it's there, we'll be safe. It's interesting and you can read it yourself. They call, they call for the it rather than the he. <coughs> they call for the it rather than the he because they were not true believers in the almighty helper God. And in calling for the it, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for those of you who haven't been in church for a long time, we've got to be clear. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that was approximately six feet wide. And in there, uh, they put uh, the things like the Ten Commandments and the rod that uh, Joshua had that budded uh, when it shouldn't have been able to bud and and then they put these golden seraphim, which were these creatures with wings, and the wings would come and they touch. And this was the place where God came and sat. The scripture tells us in the Old Testament that God came and His presence was there. If you've ever heard the phrase Shekinah glory, it was this presence of God. And the people had come to look on this box as a magic box. That if it's there, we'll win. So they brought it to the battle. And they started hooping and hollering. And the Philistines thought to themselves, what's going on? And someone said, they brought the Ark of the Covenant. God is with them. Now it's interesting that the Israelites called it in it. But the Philistines said, there's God. And they were afraid. And they said, if we're going to get this done, we need to do it now. And so the Philistines went out. The Israelites had the it. And these folks were afraid of him. But they said, if we're going to, do, if we're going to be able to defeat these folks, we need to go now. They go. And guess who wins? The Philistines. 
They take the Ark of the Covenant. Now for seven months they thought to themselves, our God, Dagon, is better than their God because we won and they didn't. So they brought that, they brought the Ark of the Covenant. They put it in with their God, Dagon. One day they come in, Dagon's falling on his face. The next day they come in, Dagon's falling, his face is off. <laughs> the, the statue of that false God had fallen right off along with his arms. They said, well, we don't want this God here, so we're going to move him over to this other place. And so they move him into this other place. They started getting hemorrhoids and all kinds of sores all over their body. And mice came and infected their homes. They said, we don't want this. This is a bad thing. Maybe we should send it back. Maybe we should send it back. They said, we don't know how we should send it back. They said, well, we need to make golden. I don't know what they were thinking, but they literally make golden the sores on their body. I don't even know what that looks like. But they made a bunch of those and they made a bunch of golden mice and they put it on the cart with the Ark of the Covenant. They tied that cart up uh, to two cows and and they said, well, we're going to figure out whether or not it was God or not. If they, they go right on into Israel, we know it was God. If they go the other way, we know it wasn't God. Those cows went on and they went right into Israel. They, saw, they, they knew it was God. Now all this time, the Philistines were in charge in Israel and the Ark of the Covenant wasn't there and the people were filled with sorrow. Next thing you know, the Ark of the Covenant is returned in chapter 6 and then in chapter 7, not only is the Ark of the Covenant back, but the Israelites win a great victory over the Philistines and are again free from their bondage. And that's where we find ourselves in 1 Samuel in verse 12 when it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. But again, in chapter 4, verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1, And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashton. And so what's going on here? Now again, Ebenezer was not called Ebenezer until the ark came back and they won the the battle at that very place. But it is not a coincidence that the place where they lost was the same place where they left the stone. It's not a coincidence that not only was it the same place they lost the battle, but it was the same place in which the Ark of the Covenant was taken. But then, much later, it's where the Ark of the Covenant came back. This was not coincidence. This is the very hand of God so that the people might know that Jehovah helps. I want you to know The God that you know, if you know Him, He helps you. And in helping you, you have a remembrance of these things. You remember them. 
You can remember back where God helped you in your marriage. You can remember back where God helped you in your work. You can remember back when God led you to a big decision. You thought this will certainly be a disaster. But you did it by obedience and God caused it to work out. And though there might have been many difficulties in the midst of it, at the end you were certainly sure God helps. You guys with me? God helps. You can remember it. I am talking literally remembering. Now here's the thing. If you can't remember specifically how God has helped you, I would ask you this. Number one, are you saved? If you cannot remember how God has helped you, are you saved? Because the truth is, is that God helps Now, maybe you've only been saved for a very short period. But even then, you can look back and remember how God has helped. If you cannot remember how God has helped you in your life. If you are saved, are you so backslidden that your mind doesn't work? The way it should. Because the way your mind should work should lead to the glory of God. Who certainly has done good things for you. Can you remember how God has specifically helped you? If you have, those are Ebenezer's for you. That God has given to you to help you today. Because you you can be sure of this. God has helped you through difficulty in the past. You will have difficulty again. Job said... That man is born for adversity as the sparks fly upwards. You ever seen sparks not fly up? If sparks fly up, you can be sure you'll have trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But aren't you glad that wasn't the end? (laughs) But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Were there Ebenezer's or times of remembrance, things that the disciples remembered back and and they were able to say, God helped me there. There were many. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the disciples remembered. When Jesus healed People of their blindness or their leprosy, the disciples remembered these things. The writers of the New Testament looked back and they remembered. When Paul looked back on his life, there was a time that he looked back to as God is my help. And he looked back to the time that he was made to be blind and fell on his face because Jesus spoke. At the time that he got saved. Peter looked back to the cock crowing. You say, well, wasn't that a terrible time for Peter? And yes, it was. But it also proved that Jesus had not forsaken him. Because it was a little while later that Peter repented and Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And Peter remembered that. You can read of his remembrance. 
There are times in our lives that we remember back and we say, if God helped me then, God will help me now. If God helped me then because I turned unto Him with all my heart in the midst of great difficulty, if I do that today, He will most assuredly help. Now one of the problems that Christians have is that they remember the principle that God is a helper and they can remember back to when God helped, but we're unwilling to go back and do the things that we did then for help. What do I mean by that? I can remember, and I've told you this many times before, You know, when I got saved, at that point in my life, Rhode Island and New England was a anathema. I did not want anything to do with this place anymore. When I moved out to go to school down south, I was going to school to get away from Rhode Island. Then I got saved, and after a little while, God changed my whole thought, my whole being. And I remember saying, I want to, I, Lord, I want to get back to Rhode Island. I want to minister in Rhode Island. I want to see people saved. I prayed every day for several months for two people to get saved in Rhode Island. One man, one woman in Rhode Island to be saved. I won't know how God answered that until I see Him. At that point, I didn't think very many people got saved in Rhode Island, if any. <laughs> I since found out that there are many gospel preaching churches, and we ought to desire people to get saved every day in Rhode Island. We ought to want Him to use us to see people saved, and we ought to want to see others used to see people saved. But we ought to want people saved here in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, you name it. New England, we, we ought to want people to be saved. Amen? I praise the Lord people are being saved. I'm going to heaven. And I remember just a little while after that as I was finishing up school, telling God, God, <clears throat> I got a plan. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a real good job, make 100000 a year. You can do that. How green we are when we're 22 years old. We think we know what a dollar is. We don't know what a dollar is. How easy it is to make 100000 Sure. I had about 40000 in college debt. And so if I made $100,000, i would be able to live a pretty good lifestyle and still pay off all my loans in one year. That was my plan. And I said, then God, I'll go to seminary. I'll learn how to be a pastor. Then I'll go and train under a pastor somewhere down here in North Carolina. And then after 10 years of doing all this, I'll make my way to Rhode Island. Isn't that a good plan, God? God said, no, it's not. I said, well, God, it is. So let's get going on this. So I graduated from school. And uh, I didn't do bad in school. I did pretty good. I had a business degree. So I wasn't, I didn't have the, one of the uh, degrees where you're making baskets underwater. So it was something useful. And uh, the best job I could find, I'm making pictures at CVS. I made $7 and some cents an hour, part time. I said, well, God, this isn't what I had planned. So I quit that job and tried to sell insurance. I made a lot more money at CVS. Then I said, well, God, this is not working, so I tried to sell cars. Aye, aye, aye. Well, you try, to, you try to sell a Hyundai back in the early 2000s. 
Those things were ugly, right? Hondas now have good cars, but you try to sell them back then, they weren't they weren't all that good. I, you couldn't I couldn't sell one of those things if my life depended upon it. And it did. And I remember the landlord writing a note on my bedroom door saying, if you are not out of here by tomorrow, I will have the police take you out. Because I could not pay the rent. (laughs) And I wept. And I wept. I remember that. God help me. Two days later, Pastor Chris called me and said, we I'd only I'd gone to church there maybe five times. So we'd like you to come and help for the summer. Amen. And I praise the Lord. Able to come. I remember that. God helped me. Did I go through some difficulties? Most surely. Have I gone through difficulties in almost every area of my life? Absolutely. God comes in and He helps. What did I do? Number one, I repented. Number one, I began to seek after Him every day like I'd never had before. He changed my life. We get to a place in our lives as Christians where where we want the help of God without God. God wants us to seek after Him every day and depend upon Him and not ourselves as Christians As we grow older, we cannot grow more self-sufficient. In fact, we have to grow more dependent upon God. And He will help us in the midst of all of these things. Brethren, He has given us a book. This book right here has helped God's people for so long. And yet, as we get older as Christians, we say, well, it's just not, it's not as rich as it used to be. Well, this is, book's the same. The words are no different. The only thing that's changed is us. And it's not that we've gotten more educated and we know more. This book is filled with the things that can help. That can help. I have been to the places of of low, being very low, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And then God uses something that I I read in the Scripture like the very thing that I'm talking about today. This Ebenezer. You know, I first read Ebenezer, I thought to myself... Would God use Ebenezer as a good word? That's Ebenezer Scrooge. That was a bad guy in the Christmas Carol, right? And I thought, what a silly thing, Ebenezer. Ebenezer is such a silly word. And as I grew in Christ, and you come to this passage and you read about Ebenezer in 4, 5, and 7, I tell you, it takes on a new meaning and a new thing. And it's, it's been a help to me. To help me see the light at the bottom of the pit. God can do that for you. There have been times where I did not know what to do. I had big decisions to make. And I sought the Lord. And He helped. He showed me things in the Scripture. Brethren, these very things God can do for you. Are you with me? There are things in your life that you remember back to 
Now remember, again, Ebenezer in chapter 4, bad things happened. Chapter 5, the ark was taken. And in chapter 7, the ark comes back, they win victory. But God was always their help. I don't know where you are in your life. You may be in the middle of the battle with the Philistines. God is still your help. At the end of the battle, you may find that the Ark of the Covenant of your life, whatever that may be, is taken. God is still your help. Continue going after Him and seeking Him, knowing Him, and loving Him. He will come in and He will help you. And this is what will help you as well. Remembering back to when He's helped you in the past. Those are your Ebenezers. When God helped, I remember when He helped me there. And that's why the Scripture says, Hitherto hath God been our help. Right? Up till now, God has helped. Guess what? If that's true, the logical thing to think is that if God's helped me since up till now, then certainly God will continue to help me into the future. Amen? May God help us to remember the things that He has done. And let these remembrances be those stones that help us today. I plead with you think about these things. In just a moment, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's table. If there are no Ebenezers in your life... I think there's only one of two options. Either you're not saved, you don't know God. And that's certainly an option. That certainly could be. Or you have gotten so far away from God that you've forgotten. There's only two things I can think. But if you're here today and you're not saved, this is what I mean by that. That you understand That you are a sinner and cannot go to heaven yourself. But rather, Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty of your sin. So that by your faith, you can go to heaven. Because God gave grace and sent His only begotten Son. And you have believed that He died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. If you believe this, the scripture says... It is by this that you are saved. You must believe in the Jesus of the Bible who is God and is the Savior. You must believe it. If you're here today and you say, you know, I've believed about Jesus, but I've never personally trusted that He's my Savior. I believe something like He's the church's Savior. That's a false doctrine. He is a Savior, not of the church, but of you. It is a lie to believe that you're saved because you go to a certain church. That's what I mean by that. It's a lie. You could come to this church for your whole life and never be saved. If you do not personally take Christ as your Savior. Believing that He died personally for you. I was 19 years old when I personally took Christ as my Savior, I prayed and told Him that I knew I was a sinner. It was not hard for me to even think of the sins that I had committed. It was easy. I knew I was a sinner. 
And I knew that He died for me. And I asked Him. Because He died for me, I asked Him to be my Savior. You know what He did? He saved me. By the way, that's my first Ebenezer. (laughs) I think often to my salvation. He saved me. 